0: good morning. Oh, yes. It's like, is it, good morning, Mrs. Trunchbull. That's the, yeah. Okay. So slide one, please. I'm talking about, as part of our series on spiritual warfare, I'm talking about the battle for the mind this morning, and I love that. Break the cycle of negative thinking. Well, I'd read it, but it probably wouldn't do me any good. <laughs> I think sometimes I can rather sum up. How we are with this whole situation. So, in particular today, I'm going to address the area of our thought life and how we can take control over that. How we can line our thoughts up with God's thoughts, which will help us, sorry, I'm eating a sweet, I need to swallow it, which will help us live more fully in peace, love, and joy. I'm also going to look at some tools that we can learn to use to catch, challenge, and change our negative thoughts. And we know that in our life, it's not ever the circumstances that are really the problem. It's how we react to them. Do we use them to allow God to refine us? Do you remember that old song, Refine As Fire? My heart's one desire is to be holy. Hmm, I'm really nervous about singing that song. It sounds great until you realize that when gold is refined, it's like being burnt alive. Which is so, so hot. And I did have a video, but I haven't got time to show it, of of gold being refined. And it's beautiful, but it looks like a very painful process. There can be pain in purification, but the end result is beautiful. So let's look at the area of our thought life and how it relates to spiritual warfare. Could I have slide two, please? So here's a quote from James Allen in his book, As a Man Thinketh. This book was written 112 years ago. Man's mind may be likened to a garden, which may be intelligently cultivated or allowed to run wild, but whether cultivated or neglected, it must and will bring forth. If no useful seeds are put into it, then an abundance of useless weed seeds will fall therein and will continue to produce their kind. Good thoughts bear good fruit, bad thoughts bad fruit. Now that sounds biblical, and of course it is going to look a bit later about from the, uh, the verse that it's taken from, which is in Proverbs. So what else does the Bible say about our thoughts? Romans twelve two, and this is taken from the Passion Translation. Stop imitating the ideals and the, the opinions of the culture around you. Be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life satisfying and perfect in his eyes. The idea of living a beautiful, satisfying life is really appealing. And I know I'm not there, but I want to be. So when we look at spiritual warfare and the battle for the mind, it's really important to understand that any area of our heart and our mind that's not surrendered to Jesus Christ, that's formed by the opinions and the ideals of the world around us, of our culture, or even of our upbringing, is an area that's vulnerable to attack let's have a look at Luke 11. So when a strong man, and the strong man hears the devil, armed to the teeth, stands guard in his front yard, his property is safe and sound. But what if a stronger man comes along with superior weapons? Then he's beaten at his own game. The arsenal that gave him such confidence hauled off and his precious possessions plundered. Before we knew Jesus, we lived as property of the devil. Satan was a fully armed, strong man, and he was guarding the home of our souls. But on the day of our salvation, a stronger, glorious man, Jesus, he overcame Satan with his superior weapons, and he um, he stripped away his armor. When we think about, we know about the armor of God, but Satan actually has armor as well. And Satan's armor is... And the things he hides behind are every thought and idea and opinion in our lives, in our hearts, and in our minds that differ from the thoughts and opinions of God. In Proverbs 23, 7, it says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And that's where the title of that book came from. So in other words, the essence of who we are is in our thought life. Therefore, it's important that our thoughts line up with God's thoughts, with his attitudes, and with his opinions. Bill Johnson says this, and I love it. I can't afford to have a thought about me in my head that he doesn't have about, in his head about me. I'll say that again. I can't afford to have a thought about me in my head that he doesn't have in his head about me. Anytime it entertains things that are not absolutely true and central in his perspective, and he's obviously talking about God, about me, it wars against what he thinks about me. Bill Johnson's talking about the battle in the mind between our wrong thoughts and God's right thoughts. So back to Luke 11. When the stronger man, that is Jesus, came and rescued us from the place of unbelief that the devil had tried to keep us in, he won the right for us to be free of all the things that hinder us in this life. It's pretty amazing. And two of the areas where I think we struggle most in our thought life are, one, believing what the Bible says about God, and two, believing what God says about us. So let's look first at what the Bible says about God. That's uh, slide six, I think. Um, God has given lots of names in the Bible, and each name speaks about an aspect of his character. I'm not going to read all those out, but just, just look at them Creator, Master, Shepherd. This sounds like a fun kind of guy. My help, our Father, our Judge, my Light. You forgive me. You provide for me. Lord of hosts. And that means Lord of hosts of the angelic, but also Lord of hosts of men. I do like the sound of him. So God says about himself in Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? But when the doubts come, those fiery darts from the enemy, into our minds about God's goodness, about his mercy, about his love... About his plans and his purposes for our life, and it's a good tactic to refer those thoughts back to the Bible, refer them back to God, the God we see in the Bible, and let him have the last word. I really believe that if we don't know what the Bible says about God and we don't use it to let him speak to us about his plans, his purposes, his promises for us, then we're at a severe disadvantage in the battle. It would be a bit like going to an archery contest, and you've got your bow, and you know how to stand, and you can see the target, and you take aim. But you've got nothing to shoot. You've got nothing to to put into the target. We're powerless without the word of God. I believe that. When Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, he used Bible verses. He used the word um, to... to um, To get back and just say, No, I'm not having any of that. If Jesus did it, then it makes really good sense for us to do it. I know that for me, sometimes in my life, the only thing that stopped me slipping into despair is hanging on to a word, hanging on to something in the Bible that God's given me. When my dad died suddenly, I was actually in church worshipping, and I got a phone call from the Kent police to say my dad had had a massive heart attack and died. And I went into shock immediately, it was just a huge shock. And I knew that I hadn't prayed enough for him, and I knew that I'd never really witnessed to him properly about Jesus. In fact, my dad used to joke that I'd become a Jew and that I'd given up sausages. That's that's how I managed to uh, inaccurately portray the gospel, shall we say. So I went, Nigel took me home. First place I went was my Bible. And I love Psalms, and God led me to Psalm 22. And it just said... In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were delivered. And in that moment, I knew that I knew that I knew where my dad was and that he was fine. And I knew that when he died, he called out to God on his deathbed and God saved him. Now there's no room in my head for the enemy to put doubt or fear in that whole area. I know where my dad is because that area is filled with faith and truth because God gave me a word from the Bible that I could hold on to. Nothing can come and say, oh, well, you didn't really witness your dad properly and you didn't pray for him enough and you didn't love him properly. Nothing. There's not an inch of ground in me that the enemy can lie to me about my dad. I know where he is and I know I'll see him again. And the only reason I've got that is because God gave me that scripture, gave me that word from the Bible. So worship is another great tool for renewing our minds. As we spend time in God's presence, we become like him. You know, we become like the one we behold. We are changed into his likeness. This means we become like him, and that includes our thoughts, our attitudes, and our opinions. And the more we know God, the more we're convinced how much he loves us, that he's got good plans and purposes for our, um, for our lives, the easier it will be to battle for our minds. And the more like Jesus we are, the more slippery we'll be when the negative thoughts come, when they're looking for a place to land. So Jesus said in John that the prince of this world is coming, but he's got nothing on me. There's nowhere for him to land on me. And Jesus was fully human, just as we are. He was slippery to the lies and the wiles of the devil. And that's how I want to be. I want to be fully slippery. So when he tries to land his yuck, it just slides off. Spending time with God, getting to know his word are two ways that I can help towards that. Part of my responsibility. And also, Jesus' relationship with Father and Holy Spirit meant that he was not, there was no room for the enemy's lies to get past his defences. He knew who he was, and he knew who his God was. So a real help against negative and damaging thoughts that come against us is to know God and believe that he's good. Spend time with him and become like him. Second area where we often struggle is believing what God says about us. We're so quick to run ourselves down and believe all the negative things that the enemy throws at us. But one uh, Colossians one twenty-one to twenty-three says this. Even though you were once distant from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to you through sacrifice of his own body as the sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there's nothing between you and Father God, for he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. Now, I find that pretty amazing. God sees us holy, flawless, and restored. I don't know about you, but... Flawless isn't how I see myself, majority of the time, most of the time, all of the time, in fact. Holy and restored, I can just about get my head round, because they're out of my control. They're graces that Jesus won for me on the cross, and I can't really do much about that. I'm declared holy, because Jesus was holy, and I'm restored back to relationship with God as my father. But flawless, that one's more tricky remember a time when I'd done something quite unwise it doesn't happen that often smile I felt really low about it and I was uh, condemning myself and I've done this here we go again groveling to God which is was my default position and he said the kindest words to me he said I know your weakness I was like wow when he said those words the goodness all the condemnation all the beating myself up just lifted off it was no condemning, judging voice. It was the kindness of a father that led me to metanoia, a change of mind or a change of thinking, which is often translated as repentance. We do have our part to play. It's as we submit to God and resist the devil that he flees, as it says in James 4, 7. So what does that look like? So for me, submission is um, listening to the things that the Holy Spirit tells me. Accept the things that he talks to me about and ask him for his help to change me. We all become new people when we decide to follow Jesus. The work's done. We're spiritually transformed. We've been moved from this kingdom of darkness into this kingdom of light, into God's kingdom. But we need Holy Spirit to adjust our thinking in lots of areas because of the contamination of the world, plus the beliefs we've gained through our experiences from birth through to salvation. So one of my core beliefs was, and if you're tender, put your fingers in your ears, all men are bastards. I'm sorry for the language, I'm not going to say that word again. I replaced it with the word swine, and that's for the tender ones amongst you. What I was hearing was the voice of my mum. This is one of her mantras, all men are swine, and they only want one thing. She'd had some experiences in her life that had convinced her of that. That became one of her core beliefs. My experience was nowhere near as bad as hers. Most of the men I knew were certainly not swine. But I'd grown up hearing that from my mum. It became a core belief of mine through what had come down through her and what she'd spoken as I'd grown up. I'd heard it time and time again. And the Holy Spirit had to reveal that to me, that that was a core belief of mine that I'd picked up from my mum. I hadn't realised that. I'd lived with a basic distrust of men, and I was wary of being vulnerable in any male-female relationship. There's a lovely quote here from Francis Frangipan. If you want to read more about this, the the, The Three Battlegrounds is a really good book. So generally speaking, strongholds, negative or wrong thoughts that become entrenched in us and affect the way we live, originate from any one of three sources. The first is the very world into which we've been born. The steady stream of information and experience that continually shaped our childhood perceptions is the greatest source of strongholds within us. The amount of love or lack of love in our home... Our cultural environment, peer values and pressures, as well as fears of rejection and exposure, even our physical appearance and intelligence, all combine to form our sense of identity and our view of life. So listening to Holy Spirit and asking for his help to change, change us where we're weak, where we're deceived, or where we're just plain wrong, is one way to submit to God. And another is not do the things that are bad for us. I genuinely believe that God hates sin because the effect it has on his kids, on us. So I don't watch horror films. That's just my choice because I'm a little bit feeble in that area. I know how badly they affect me. I can't watch brutality or violence or gore or anything on the telly. I spend a lot of time doing this when the telly's on. Not that we watch stuff like that, but I, I am more sensitive than the rest of my family. And that's, that is my choice because I know the effect it has on me. A couple of weeks ago, I watched a film... It had a really good review, and it was, it was described as um, an intelligent thriller rather than horror, because I wouldn't have gone near it. But it was about zombies. Mm. Yes. So it wasn't overly violent. It wasn't bloodthirsty. And actually, the film asked some really good questions. There's a lot of the film that I enjoyed. And I thought I got away with it hm? till Friday night. So I couldn't sleep. I'm laying in bed probably listening to my husband hacking and I spent the night in a lot of frustration about not being able to sleep about five o'clock in the morning I just began to feel dozy it's like oh I've got a couple of hours we had the Emmanuel breakfast so but it's like oh I've got a couple of hours to sleep so I'm laying there all of a sudden I start having thoughts about zombies rampaging down my my road killing my children killing my grandchildren now I know that's not very likely. I do know that's not very likely. So you'd think that I would be able to take those thoughts and just go, "Oh, what nonsense! Get away from me!" and you know, put them over there. But what happened was I slid down into this anxious place of thinking how vulnerable my children and my grandchildren are. Our grandchildren are four, um, coming up for four, and just one. I started to be anxious about how can I ever protect them in this world? How can I see those grandchildren grow up to be healthy, whole adults? What can I do? And I slid into this anxiety. I started to realize what was going on. I'd opened myself up to those thoughts through watching this zombie film. Now, the film itself wasn't that scary, but the enemy used that then to to poke at something that was really in me, is an anxiety over my children and my grandchildren, as a parent and a grandparent that has to be kept in proper balance but it's a real thing and the enemy had used that film and that zombie whole thing going on just to poke at me and, and have a go, Toad because he's like that so I need to keep clean where I'm vulnerable and we all know our own vulnerabilities, I'm suspecting we look. we all look quite grown up here so just don't you know, if you know you're vulnerable in an area, don't play about in it. For me, be, for God's sake, Ellie, be sensible. If it's got the word Z in it, avoid it. I do like the zoo. What, yeah, Haley likes zoo. Although they can be quite scary. So a third and really important way that we can submit to God is to believe the good stuff that God says about us and believe the promises that he's given us for our lives. If we take him at his word, we believe he knows best and he always speaks the truth. Now, this is a major battleground, guys. This is a war we can fight on a daily basis to believe the good and try and ignore the often glaring inconsistency between what God says about us versus how we behave and what God says about our circumstances versus the often conflicting evidence around us. How many of us are holding on to promises that God's given us In the natural, they show absolutely no sign of coming to reality. And in fact, things got a lot worse after we got the promise or the prophetic word. I heard someone say once, if you get a good prophetic word from God, duck, because the enemy will be throwing a brick after it to bang you on the back of the head. I do think that's quite true. Part of the battle that we're in is to believe and hold on to the things that God's spoken, whilst our enemy is busy trying to put doubts and unbelief into our minds. Hebrews 11 says that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of things we don't see. We don't see. (laughs) It's invisible. They're sitting in the heavenly realms waiting to be released to us. And unless you're Carol, who's constantly going into the heavenly realms in prayer, we don't see them. We have to take the stuff by faith. But waiting's hard. It can be discouraging. It can be disappointing. It can be exhausting. And none of us like to live in that place. I know I don't. When we battle in our minds to keep hold of the promises that God's given us, God commends us for that. In many ways, the place of the battle is more important to us than the winning. A lot of our character growth, and I've put in brackets, yuck, and Christ-likeness, which I can't say, is birthed in the battle. Battling builds our faith muscles, whether we like it or not. The more we use a muscle, the stronger it gets. When we understand that God's foremost plan for us is to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, again, ouch, we understand that the battles we face, although hard and horrible at times, will always and eventually turn for our good. Like with Joseph, he was beaten, he was abused, he was falsely um, accused, that's the one. I don't know why I looked at you, Carol. (laughs) Falsely accused. Maybe that's that's a word. Um, He was falsely accused, but he acted righteously. He refused to give in to self-pity. And he ended up a rich, influential man. But more importantly, he helped save the lives of millions of people. God's plans are bigger than just us. And I think that's one reason why the enemy fights so hard. To wrestle them away from us. To wrestle the faith away from us. So let's think about what God has promised us. Apart from the great things in the Bible, are there specific promises that God's given us that we're waiting to see? Promises for a job? Promises for a baby? Promises for a life partner? Promises for this church? When we visit that promise, are we filled with hope? Or are we filled with despair that it's taking so long? Do we even believe it's possible for God to do this? Again, Francis Frangipan says, if you want to identify the hidden strongholds in your life, this is slide nine, you need only survey the attitudes of your heart. Every area in our thinking that glistens with hope in God is an area which is being liberated by Christ. But any system of thinking that does not have hope, which feels hopeless, is a stronghold which must be pulled down. So as part of my preparation for this talk, I was doing lots of research and reading about what different people said about thoughts and about spiritual attack, and I came across this question, which I don't like. If you take an honest look at the spiritual attacks that have assaulted your life, how many of them have been the result of your failure to renew your mind or take authority over the devil's strategies in your life? If the word of God had dominated your mind, and if you'd been walking in the Spirit. How might the situation have turned out differently? Ouch. That just gave me something to think about, not in a condemning way, but just thinking, did I do everything that I can do to help with this situation? Or did I lay down under the assault? Did I agree with the devil in some area of my life? And did I fail to protect myself in some way that I have responsibility for? So slide ten, just to sum up the last bit, because it was, you know, could have been a bit long submitting to god looks like this listen to the holy spirit and ask for his help to change live righteously stay clean in your vulnerable areas and believe what says god says about us and our circumstances so how do we do it how do we change our thinking so that our thoughts more readily line up with those of our heavenly father how do we believe what he says about us which will lead to our behavior changing How do we hold on to the promises that he's given us? How do we remain hopeful in the waiting time? A good strategy for renewing our minds is found in Hebrews 3.1. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. We had an Emmanuel breakfast yesterday, which is all about looking at Jesus, finding out from him what he wants us to know. The Emmanuel approach is where we, le- we learn to be more intimate with Jesus. We spend time with him. We look for him. We listen to him. We listen to his voice. We let him change our perspective about ourselves and about things that happened in the past that we've got some wrong idea about. Um, I think Georgia mentioned there's an Emmanuel training in Reading next Friday night, all day Saturday. Anyone's very welcome to come along. You can just come to the Saturday if you've had some exposure to Emmanuel and that's fine. And also in February, we have a Finding Freedom event, which is where we take an extended time of teaching and ministry. We address any areas of spiritual bondage in our lives that may be affecting us. We cover issues such as deliverance, forgiveness, generational issues, ungodly beliefs. And that's a great place to dump all your stuff, to leave behind all the old rubbish that we've dragged into our spiritual life from our pre-Jesus days. That, that stuff can hold us back, and it can stop us from fully, fully experiencing what God has for us, the good, his goodness towards us. So look out for the sign-up for that if you haven't done it. And if you have done it, come and do it again. And if you've done it a couple of times, come and be on the team. Everybody gets to play. So removing hindrances and fixing our eyes on Jesus is a really good strategy for victory. As it says in 2 Corinthians ten five. We use our powerful God tools for smashing, warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.5, and that's in the message version. Now, we know from work done by psychologists that the usual pattern of human behavior goes like this, something like this. We have a thought. That leads to a feeling or an emotion and that leads to a behavior or an action. So let's look at how this worked in Genesis right at the beginning. So I think I've got it up there. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree? So the thought he put in her head was, did God really say? That brought a doubt and that brought the behaviour of eating the fruit. The serpent still works in the same way today. He tailors his questions and his suggestions to touch the areas where we're vulnerable, and he tries to drop these thoughts in, hoping they'll land and bear bad fruit. If we look at our mind as a runway on our territory, we can understand that we can decide which aeroplanes land or which thoughts land on our minds. We're the authority We have an air traffic control system that can refuse permission for the the thoughts to land. We choose what lands in our mind. We choose what we feed on. We choose whether we go God's way or the enemy's way. But it's not always that easy. I get that. I understand that. My thought life can be an interesting one. Sometimes we can be doing everything right. We're close to God. We're being as clean as we can. We're reading our Bibles, we're doing our best to live in a healthy way, but still the thoughts that assail us are negative and they're damaging. Our minds are seldom quiet. We have a running commentary going on inside most of the time. These thoughts can have a big impact on the way we feel and then on the way we act. We don't even realise it most of the time. When we feel anxious or stressed, or when our core beliefs about ourselves, our world or God are wrong, we interpret things in an overly negative way. We're often critical of ourselves, of other people, and even of God himself. Now, these thoughts are called negative automatic thoughts. And we can recognize them because they're fleeting. They just, there they are. They're automatic. They're believable. They're biased. They're very, very unhelpful. Now, we all have these thoughts from time to time. But they can be really problematic if, A, they dominate our minds, That's the next slide, 14, please. They dominate our minds and are allowed to land. B, if we never question them and accept them as facts. Or C, if we're not able to consider other perspectives or actual truths. So the first step is recognizing them. So much of our thought life goes unchallenged. We believe everything we say in our heads, assuming that we're right in our assumptions and in our opinions. We can usually tell if someone else is speaking from a place of offence or wrong belief or pain, but we seldom recognise it in ourselves. So let's try to become aware of the running commentaries in our heads. Stand back and listen to your thought life sometime. Try and catch the negative thoughts that run through. One of my particular challenges is impatience. If I'm standing in a line too long, I get more and more annoyed until by the time I'm at the checkout, for example, I'm not a nice person to know. I know you find that very hard to believe. I've never done it in the coffee queue, I don't think. I may have done. So I hate shopping. I like to get in and out as quickly as possible. I can get wound up. I can get annoyed. And we were shopping last week in Tesco's, my daughter and I, and I wanted to get in and out. And I was behind some um, people who were walking very slowly and were taking up the entire aisle. Not a good place for me. So I start to get agitated and I start to fidget and say in a very loud voice, I think it's disgusting that people come out shopping and then just dawdle aimlessly through the entire shop. At which point Lauren was going, shut up, shut up, shut up. I queue hop in supermarkets. This is confession time. Not as I don't push in. I look and I go, that one's the wrong one. That one, I'm going over here. I'm going over here and, over here and I normally end up right at the back I drive through red lights at roadworks at night time on country roads if I can see there's nothing coming confession time I like to be first in the queue for everything on a Sunday morning I'll be up here putting my bag and my thing on I like to be first I like to be on time I hate to be late but that's part of my impatience actually I exaggerate the amount of time I've spent queuing Not because I like lying, but for me, it feels like 100 years in a queue when it's only five minutes. And I've been doing some work on this in my thought life because I've been trying to eliminate some stresses and um, anxieties from my life. I've been actively taking notice of the things that that cause me to get angry, frustrated, and anxious. So when I queue, I begin to recognize the emotions, and I check my thoughts to see what I'm thinking. And it usually goes something like this. I'm standing in a queue. I begin to feel agitated. Hmm, I'm feeling agitated. What am I thinking? Usually things like, well, this is a waste of time. I could be doing dot, 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 dot. That person is really slow. Why do they employ idiots when it's this busy? Why do people wait until they're paying to get their purses out? I get my purse out 20 minutes before I need it. I get my car keys out when I'm leaving whichever building I'm in, if I can find them. I always lose them at Andrew and Mandy's. They hide them. So, and then, of course, why can't they pack any faster? Oh, I love shopping in Audi. They fling your stuff through so fast. You can be in and out in a really short time. It's ruined me for Tesco's, though, because they're like, have you got any plans? this weekend yes to get out of this shop before I die (laughs) so that'll give you some idea of what's going on inside me now I said earlier that thoughts lead to a feeling which lead to a behavior often though we're not aware of the thought until we begin to experience the feeling so like I said I'm feeling agitated what am I thinking what's going on in my mind so I'm teaching myself to check back and find the thought that started the process. Now, this is called catching the thought. Once I've caught it, I begin to unpack it a little. If I'm being mean, horrible, or judgmental, which I usually am, including to myself, I bring that thought to Jesus. This is kind of an aside, although it's important. I say sorry for my attitude, and I speak a quick blessing over whoever I'm being fouled to, which is really powerful. And actually, I'll be looking at the power of spoken blessing next month. Then I stare this thought directly in the face. I have a look at it. I challenge it. I need to look at the thought based on facts rather than my assumptions based on emotional and flaky evidence. So in my research, I saw it described as take the thought to court, and I really like that. The Bible calls it taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So how do we challenge these thoughts? How do we take them to court? And as Bill Johnson says, I'm now coming into land. So we need to consider the evidence for and against the negative automatic thought. And I'm going to use a real circumstance as an example. So I've been having some uh, anxiety issues over the past few months, mainly regarding some property that we bought in Cyprus about 10 years ago. It's turned into a a nightmare, a huge nightmare, with serious financial implications for us. As I said, it's been going on 10 years, and I've become a little bit worn down with this. It began to affect my health. So as part of the process... Of facing the challenge head on. We decided to travel out to Cyprus a couple of weeks ago. We couldn't do anything practical, it's all with lawyers and things, but I just needed to be on the ground in the place, praying and trying to hear God for what he was saying, because we've got some big decisions and some hard decisions to make. Things had been really crazy busy before we went. I'd been away, I'd got back, I'd had to pack, and I have to pack for everyone, which is fine. At least I know most things will be in there. And I was worried that I would forget something. This is like a recurring theme for me. So I'm sit- we're sitting on the runway on the aeroplane. The thought comes to me, you've forgotten your prescription sunglasses. So Immediately, I am it going into anxiety. These are the thoughts that went, that came. I didn't pack my sunglasses. I'm an idiot. I knew I'd forget something. This is gonna ruin my whole week. I'm gonna go blind. I won't enjoy a single minute. This is a massive problem. It sounds like such a small thing, but it, it, it was like just touching on, on the pool of anxiety about Cyprus that was already inside me. Physically, I felt gnawing anxiety in my tummy. I felt my body go tense. My breathing got shallow and faster. I slumped down in my seat, and I was feeling anxious. I was feeling angry at myself. I was frustrated. I was despairing. I began to think wild things like, right, I'll get the kids to post them to me. I'll arrange for overnight delivery from to somewhere I didn't even really know the address of where we were staying. To all this ridiculous, I'll go to Cyprus. Uh, their prescription sunglasses, so I'd have needed to have an eye test, and then they can make them for me. And the- all this stuff is going through my head, and I suddenly realised, whoa, hang on, you've been working on this. This is that thing that you don't want. This is thoughts just causing all these physical sensations and then weird behaviour, like trying to organise everything and everyone. So I took hold of my thoughts and I looked directly at them. I put them under the spotlight of truth and I challenged them. And this is, this is what I'm going to try and get over to you. Were my thoughts, facts or opinions? Was there any truth in my thoughts? I didn't just want to put a positive slant on a negative. I had forgotten my sunglasses. I couldn't pretend I had them. Just walk around like this and, oh, everything's fine. I needed to be realistic. So let's take my first and second thought as an example. My first thought, I have got my sunglasses. That was kind of the trigger. Well, that's true. It's a fact. It's not based on my opinion or a wrong call belief. The second thought, I'm an idiot. Look at the evidence for that. Have I acted idiotically before, in inverted commas? Have I forgotten things before? Yes, I've forgotten things occasionally. Evidence against. I'm an idiot is an opinion, and it's my opinion, it's not a fact. Does everyone think I'm an idiot? You might find this hard to believe, but no, not everyone considers me an idiot. Do I behave idiotically all the time? No, I don't. Most of the time, I don't behave idiotically. And I'm not stupid. I've got some pieces of paper that prove I'm not stupid, and that's what I really meant when I said I'm an idiot. Stupid was what I thought. So I changed that thought to... Sometimes I've forgotten to pack an item for our holiday. Can you see how much less damaging that thought is? It's based on fact, and all the negative emotions are taken away. There's nothing to beat myself up with, and actually there's nothing for the enemy to beat me up with. We could go through the same process with all the other thoughts I had. And it works the same way. Once the thought was in proper balance, I was able to come up with an easy solution. We went to an optician's and I bought some of those really tasteful, clip-on plastic brown bits that sit on here. Not the smartest look in the world, but I didn't go blind. And I didn't spend the whole week whinging that I couldn't see. So we had quite a nice time. So learning to catch our negative thoughts, we challenge them and come up with a more realistic alternative. Is the way we make them obedient to Jesus. We call this catch, challenge, and change. And that's the next slide. Wakey, wakey, Will! He's dozing off. I can see him. He is. You can't see him, but he was. It's because I'm going on over my time. So, our thought, if our thoughts conflict with the truth about God, about ourselves, they need to change. It does take practice, but it's possible to learn to do this. To recap, is the thought a fact or is it a fiction? Is it an opinion? Is it based on truth or is it based on a feeling? What does the Bible say? What promises has God given us that we can hold on to the things in a negative situation? To sum it all up, let's look at Philippians 4, 8-9. to Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on the true things. Things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious. The best and not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Amen.